Welcome back to the Maluli Asset Podcast. This is episode 392, and I'm your host, Casey Maluli. Just me this week, I'm flying solo. I just wanted to kind of present a summary of the things and the numbers that we've been paying attention to this week. So we're recording this on April 28th, which is a Thursday, and this morning we got GDP print, which for those that don't know, GDP is the uh, largest overall economic number that we have. And the GDP print came in at negative 1.4% for the first quarter of 2022. So there's been a lot of headlines out there today. But when you look under the surface and you look under the hood at the components of that GDP number, things aren't as bad as they seem. The consumer and investment spending portion of GDP remained strong, and what dragged the overall number down was an increase in trade deficit and a decrease in government spending as a lot of the COVID-era policies are starting to wind down. This is, you know, along with the hot inflation readings we've gotten for the last six, eight months here, the economic outlook isn't as rosy as it was at this time last year. We've mentioned this on podcasts before. We've mentioned it over the last two years as COVID pandemic hit and then the economic responses from the Fed and the on the fiscal side from the government as well. The economic numbers that we've been getting for the last two years have been, to put it not eloquently, they've been pretty weird. A lot of the economic charts that you look at have just been broken. The, the numbers last year, I think Q4, we got almost a, a plus 7% growth number from GDP, which is extremely high. Usually it's around, you know, 2, 3, 4%. So we're not trying to make predictions on what's going to happen in the future, just kind of reporting what we're seeing right now. And everyone wants to know, what does this mean for me? What is this? What's it going to take to turn this market around? Or are we headed off a cliff, which seems to be uh, the prevailing sentiment at this point in time? Well, short answer is nobody knows. There's a lot of conflicting information out there right now. The job market is incredibly strong, but the Fed has committed to continuing to raise interest rates in their May and June meetings. Uh, It seems to be consensus right now, and it could be as much as 50 basis points per each session. So they raised interest rates 25 basis points at their March meeting. And I just kind of want to hammer a point home that we we talked about on a podcast back in uh, January, February. And that's the other tool, the not as often talked about tool that the Federal Reserve has, and that is how they communicate. It's actually called jawboning. It's this idea that the Fed is signaling with their commentary that they will be aggressively raising rates in the coming months, um, like I said, May and June, and even into 2023, I think it's predicted that there's going to be you know seven or eight rate, rate hikes now. And that's so consensus. And the market has really responded strongly to that. Since the market looks forward and not backwards, the market prices in things ahead of time, ahead of them actually happening. So it begs asking the question, has the market meaning the huge jumps that we've seen in in popular benchmarks like the two-year and 10-year treasury and things like mortgage rates, have those jumps been doing the Fed's job for them? 
who's to say? We're not here to to make predictions, but it's something to keep in mind that, you know, when things become so consensus that doesn't necessarily mean or just because the the Fed is saying they're continuing on one path doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to continue. If the data changes, I'm sure that they will change their tune as well. Any anecdotes you hear out there right now are bad. One of the largest measures of investor sentiment, the AAII Investor Sentiment Survey for this week, definitely reflects those results. And I just wanted to share them with you because, man, they're, uh, they're pretty bleak. The percent of investors that are bullish this week came in at 16.4%. The percentage of investors that are bearish right now is 59.4%, which is a 15% increase from just last week. That's crazy. And 24% of investors see the market as neutral, which means they neither think it's going to go up nor go down. So back to that bearish reading, 59.4%. This is the 10th highest in the history of the survey and the highest since March of 2009, which was the exact bottom of the financial crisis. And this is a little blurb from the article, which was released by AAII along with the results of the survey. Historically, the S&P 500 index has gone on to realize above average and above median returns during the 6th and 12-month periods following unusually low readings for bullish sentiment and for the bull bear spread. Unusually high bear sentiment readings historically have also been followed by above average and above median six-month returns in the S&P 500. So it's somewhat of a contrarian indicator in that regard. Interesting. I wanted to kind of talk about and put things in perspective with uh, a chart from Charlie Bellello at Compound Advisors. He looked at total return of all the asset classes since the start of 2011, and he broke it out by their returns in each consecutive year, and then their cumulative and average annualized return over um, these 11 years. So the leading asset class in this year, 2022, is commodities. But over 2011 to 2022, so 11 years, its annualized return is 0.1%, and its total cumulative return is 1.4% in 11 years. 1.4%. On the other end of the spectrum, he looked at the NASDAQ 100, which is not a recommendation. None of this should be regarded as a recommendation to buy or sell any of these asset classes. But the NASDAQ 100, which is down almost at the bottom of uh, total returns so far year to date in 2022, its cumulative return over these 11 years from 2011 to 2022 is 565%, which annualizes out to just over 18%. So I know the market and uh, market participants seem to be really concerned about, well, what have you done for me lately? But you got to zoom out and you got to take these, you got to take it in chunks larger than just the last couple of months. Uh, Another example for you here, just below commodities at the top of year to date return so far is gold, which we've talked about extensively on the podcast. Cumulative returns over the last 11 years is 30%. 
for an annualized average return of 2.3%. What's worked so far this year hasn't really worked over the previous 10 years, and what hasn't worked so far this year has really worked over the last 10 years. So like I said, you got to zoom out and, and definitely take that perspective into account. I wanted to go back and talk about those single stocks and how Nick Majuli over at Of Dollars and Data, one of the best financial blogs out there, I read his stuff every single week. He had a great post about the differences between between buying the dip in single stocks and buying the dip in an index like the S&P 500. And the biggest difference is that the index, in this example, the S&P, will rebalance it it rebalances over time meaning the companies that make up the index itself will change based on the rules they have um, for being included in the index the companies change based on their market capitalization and market capitalization is a fancy way of saying um, it's based on the largest companies in the world the s p 500 represents the biggest of the big um, and the bigger the company the more weight it holds in the index but it has certain thresholds where if you fall below the threshold, then you won't be included in the index anymore and something will take your place. So this was a quote from a, a book that he referenced. I'll link it up in the show notes. The name of the book is escaping me right now. Of the 28,853 companies that have traded on U.S. markets since 1950, 22,469 of them, or 78% of them, had died by 2009. Of those, 45% were acquired by or merged with other companies, while only about 9% went bankrupt or were liquidated. 3% were privatized and 0.5% underwent leveraged buyouts, with with the remainder disappearing for other reasons. Me and Tom talked about a similar thing where we looked at the top 10 names in the S&P 500 dating back to 1980, and we laughed our way through it because some of the companies in there, you know, don't exist anymore. And he had some good stories about the ones that don't. So uh, definitely go back and check that one out. So when it comes to taking risks with your dollars, betting a lot of money on a single stock is way, way up there on the risk spectrum. And just because a stock is down... This was Nick's point. Just because a stock is down 50 or 70% doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a good buying opportunity. But when you see that bear sentiment is it's had its highest level since 2009 and you're trying to do that in an index, it's very different doing it in an index from doing it in a single stock. So you've got to be you got to think about what you're really trying to do here. I know I did a video a couple weeks ago about how trying to make the most money as possible with your portfolio isn't a financial plan. A financial plan is more concerned with investing your dollars in a sustainable way that will be able to support your lifestyle down the road. If you're trying to make the most money as possible, yeah, trying trying to make a highly concentrated bet in a single stock position might be the best way to do it. But if you're trying to support your lifestyle and live off these dollars down the road, there's a way less risky way to do that and a way more balanced approach. Um, and that's probably going to be in your best interest and allow you to actually get some sleep at night. There's a common saying in our industry that buying opportunities never feel like buying opportunities in real time. But if you've got a 10-year plus time horizon and are worried about a 10%, 10, 15, or 20% drop in your portfolio, 
it's important to to look back through market history and realize that these drops, these blips along the way are the very reason that you're rewarded over the long term because short-term volatility is the price that you pay for long-term gains. And I know that it's tough in the moment seeing your accounts go down and seeing your positions go down with all the doom and gloom out there and the news headlines and about the economy as a whole. It's tough to stay the course. And, uh, you know, we definitely we definitely understand and, and can empathize with that. But it's super important to, to have a plan and to have that conviction in your plan that, like I said, if you have the time, then sticking with your investment plan is probably going to be of greater benefit to you than jumping in and out and, and trying to time the market on these things. I wanted to jump back to um, talking about individual companies here and, and specifically their earnings and clip in a segment from two weeks ago that Brendan, Tom, and, and myself talked about. So here we go. I'm going to clip this in real quick. Earnings have continued to be good thus far this year, which I think is um, a shining light in you know an otherwise rough first quarter for the market and the economy. You, you look at earnings uh, from most companies that continue to be strong. It's a good thing, but prices have been lousy and especially lousy in some particular areas of the market. And so that's, I think, where you see the compression on the stock side. One of the differences, at least from the stock side of things, is that in the 70s and into the 80s, these big corporations, they did not have pricing power. They didn't have the ability to change prices on the fly to keep up with inflation. This time around, a lot of businesses have the ability to raise prices. Yeah, it costs us more. But this is why, as Brendan alluded to, the shining light in the first quarter is these good earnings that we saw. And they are not uh, forecasted to be slowing down at any point in the near term. And so we're going to continue to have good earnings, or at least we think we are. And I, I really think that six, nine, 12 months from now, people are going to say, wow, the Fed's doing something about inflation. Inflation's coming down. Earnings are still good. This is probably a good time to be putting money to work. To further illustrate our point, I'm going to reference a chart that Ben Carlson linked to in one of his latest blog posts from this week that showed a chart of S&P 500 companies' profit margin. And it shows that the average profit margin for S&P 500 companies is at its highest level that it has ever been at, which means that these businesses that make up the S&P 500 index are healthier than they've ever been before, which seems like a good thing for these companies' stock prices. Again, uh, I'm not drawing straight lines there, but we got to talk about this stuff. We got to balance this stuff out with all of the other uh, negative news headlines. One more point for you. Just want to quickly throw this in there. Another chart from Charlie Bellello showed that all the inflation that's going on and all of the the belly aching and the griping about um, higher prices and inflation and things costing more, U.S. retail sales hit their highest level ever, meaning that while everyone is complaining about inflation in the, in the economy, households are still spending, they're still spending more money than they ever have before. 
And another shout out to Ben Carlson here. He looked at U.S. households as a whole, which have more cash on hand than debt for the first time in three decades. I'm going to say that again. U.S. households as a whole have more cash than debt on hand for the first time in three decades. The economic and stock market news has been overwhelmingly negative here in 2022. We're not here to make guesses about the future of interest rates, which way the market's going to go next week, month, or year. But I wanted to balance out this doom and gloom narrative with some facts and figures that we've had our eyes on here um, in the office and share them with, with all you, our listeners. Um, I wanted to thank you all so much. I know I've been talking for a while here, and if you've made it this far, man, it really means a lot to me. So thank you all for listening. Uh, this has been episode 392 of the Maluli Asset Podcast. Thanks so much, and we'll be back with you next week. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.